welcome to another episode of Awakened Parenting. I'm your host, Jill McPherson, parenting consultant, mother of four, and teacher, here to answer your parenting questions. This week's question comes from Courtney, a mother who's dealing with sleep issues. She was struggling with her three-and-a-half-year-old around bedtime when she joined my online parenting workshop. Since she shared her bedtime challenges with me, I have heard from several moms struggling with their children around the topic of sleep and bedtime routines. It seemed to me that it would be a logical topic to share in a podcast. Recently, I met Jen Searson, a sleep and well-being specialist from heartfeltslumber.com. I asked Jen if she would like to join me in addressing Courtney's concerns and sharing more of what she does to support parents struggling with sleep issues. I'm so grateful to say that Jen is with me today. So if you are a parent struggling with issues around sleep and bedtime, then you'll want to listen in on today's episode of Awakened Parenting. I want to begin first by introducing Jen and uh, while asking her to introduce herself. Jen, welcome to uh, my uh, podcast, Awaken Parenting. So glad to have you here. Hi, Jill. Um, I'm so happy to be here and feel so honored. Thank you so much for inviting me for this opportunity. Um, I'm so grateful. Um, So my name is Jen and I have been, I am a child and youth worker in the school board and have had about a decade of experience kind of in that role in that kind of area. And I am also a sleep and well-being specialist, as you had mentioned. So thank you for that um, intro. And I have started my business about two and a half years ago. And I really do feel like this is my true passion. I, I really feel um, just so inspired to find a different it almost seems like against the grain or a different way of parenting and supporting um, children, you know, zero to five years of age that struggle on their sleep journeys, whether that, you know, be bedtime battles or nap time struggles or anything like that. Um, But I have been able to have some insight thanks to my highly sensitive children who have led me in this direction and actually brought me to you um, in in the responsive parenting kind of light and, you know, shed some areas of expertise in that way too. And so, um, yeah, I'm just so excited to be here and support families in any way that I can. Um, and that is through sleep without any kind of sleep training, because I do think that Every child is unique and every family is unique in terms of their goals and their expectations and what they're looking to achieve. Um, So it wouldn't make sense for me to offer a generic kind of plan or something like that. But I think it's definitely a hot topic where we can hopefully dive in today and, and tackle some of those, maybe some of those specific issues that are coming up and we can offer some support today. That's great. Yeah, great. And I'm really interested if you could just elaborate a little bit more about, you know, there's no sleep training. I, I checked out your your website and uh, and and noticed that. So I, I guess you're referring to the fact that, you know, often there's these specific um, 
procedures maybe that parents have been given on this is what you need to do to get your child to sleep and it's sort of like standard across the board so you're saying that you don't do that can you just elaborate a little bit more on that yeah this is I actually feel very passionate about this I did attempt to sleep train my oldest um who was a very colicky baby and um I just found that it actually made me go against my instincts and how I wanted to parent it allowed it took away from how I could be responsive to her and you know I was looking at a timer and looking at this like checklist and all of these things and and it really took away from me tuning into my child and what she needed at that moment um so that's why I feel so passionate about it I also don't offer any step by step plan because I could be talking to a parent and we could collaborate to get, that's the other thing we do is collaborate and formulate a plan together on what's going to work for their specific family. But we could do all of that work and nighttime could come and all of a sudden that doesn't feel good to them or doesn't feel right to them. And for me, that's a hard stop. That means we're not moving forward because something's not feeling right. And our children have mirror neurons and they pick up on that or you know, again, they're not feeling right making this choice. So why should they have to parent in a way that doesn't feel right to them or authentic and and going against how they feel um, true to their parenting style? So that to me is the biggest thing. And obviously is a very different scale on every single unique family and child with what is going on for them and what they need. So um, what might be, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say, and so when you call yourself a sleep specialist, it's because this is like a general uh, school of training, a school of thought that, that you were trained under. Is that um, how you received your training? That's correct. And it's actually really holistic. So it looks at all avenues of sleep. Sleep is a biological function. So if it's not happening, why is it not happening? Um, You know, some children have low iron. And so sleep training them wouldn't make them have higher iron levels, right? Or, um, and, and so it looks at the whole kind of picture as to what is going on for that family, what is going on for that child. And, and it looks at all different kind of avenues. So yeah, I could, sometimes there's a breathing issue that comes up, right? Like there's all different kind of aspects. And so looking at a specialist kind of point of view is it's, looking at every single avenue. It's not just a behavior problem. <laughs> right. So you're not looking at just sleep. You know, sleep is where the problem is showing itself, but then you're investigating to see what else is going on that could be contributing to this problem. Is that what Absolutely. That Absolutely. Yeah. There's so much, I always say sleep is so deep. There's so much more to sleep than just sleep. So mm. it's getting to the root as to what is going on there for sure. Great, great. Okay, so let's apply this uh, great information you have and and knowledge and expertise to an actual question. So um, for those that are just uh, joining my podcast for the first time, um, recently I shifted into switching my podcast to answering a specific question or questions from a parent. So um, I wanted to share um, these questions that came up um, from Courtney, um, who'd taken my workshop. So, um, let's start with what she said to me first, when she wrote in with her question, she said, I'd say my biggest challenge is how do you get your child to stay in their bed? 
So she has a three and a half year old that she was putting to bed and he kept wanting to come out. So Jen, what would you say to that? That is a great question. I do think that it is often one that comes up, but obviously that's a a true frustration at the end of the day. How much energy do we have and how much energy can we put forward to, you know, something that's supposed to be happening somewhere. And so for me, again, it's looking at the root cause. What is going on there? What is that child seeking and how can we explore that avenue a little bit? So the first thing that comes to mind for me in this situation is separation. Our children don't love separation. They've been separated from us all day, probably, right? If it's if there's daycare or school, whatever that looks like. And now we're kind of separating for our biggest separation of the day, which is nighttime. And that's scary for our children. They want to stay connected. They want to stay close. They want to know that they're safe and secure. They, they have a need to be met first, and that needs to happen before they're ready to feel calm and ready to go to bed. Um, So I would look at that first. And that is where I tend to look at a little bit more. So can we add some connection time before bed? Can we fill that bucket before they're asking for it? Can we meet that need and meet them where they're at? It's also very normal. And I think it goes a little bit against Western our our society kind of expectations that it's very normal for a child to want to have a parent close by as they kind of drift off and, and go to sleep for the night again, because it is such a big separation. And so I want to evaluate, okay, if a parent doesn't feel okay with that, all right, how can we meet that need though? Um, But also would a parent be okay with, you know, maybe laying with them? They want, ultimately they might be looking for you, right? And so if they're running out of the room looking for you, what if we're there? Then there's right. nothing to run for. Right. And I like what you said about how this can also be a struggle with, you know, Western paradigms around sleep, you know. So um, often um, as a parent of, of young children, for instance, when mine were little, um, you know, I remember there being some negativity or faux pas around those parents who lay down with their children to get them to sleep, like as though, you know, they were cheating or they were doing something wrong or, you know, they got to toughen up their kids to get them to get get to sleep by themselves. And um, so I, I remember even myself when they were little, sort of that was the, the goal to get them to like, you know, get to sleep. You should be able to sleep by yourself. You should be able to put yourself to sleep yourself. And, uh, and that in itself, believing or getting hooked into that belief can create a great deal of stress. For sure. And of course, if a child has that need that needs to be met and now we're kind of, we, and, and I get it. We're parents. The day has gone on. We are a little bit frustrated. There's this reoccurring event. We're tired. But how much would it be if we if we were able to reframe that thought a little bit? And, you know, a lot of my connection with my five-year-old um, is laying in that bed at nighttime, debriefing about her day and how she was and how she felt. And then she just kind of drifts off to sleep, which I love. And so some, I guess I like to bring that up too, because some parents might actually like that once it's kind of an option or they know that it's okay it's okay to lay beside your child if that's if that's where you want to meet them that's okay right so back to Courtney's question then you know it could be that this is a 
you know, a sign of, you know, an unmet need. In this case, we're just speculating it could be around needing more time with a parent um, and that they're coming out of their room or coming out of bed to try to meet that need. Yeah, totally. And I, and I don't think it's an, um, an unrealistic need that they're kind of seeking at, at, um, I think we kind of know around the age, um, I think maybe three years old there. And so at that age, they're looking to be seen and heard. Do you see me? Do you hear me? I'm going to bed. Maybe you didn't see me today. Maybe you didn't hear me today. Here I am. Do you hear me now? Right. Right. And not to take that personally. So this obviously there's no, you know, um, negativity towards a parent or judgment towards a parent. We're just observing that if they're coming out of their room for, as a parent, rather than getting frustrated with maybe a thought like they shouldn't come out of the room, they should stay in bed. I have to figure out how they stay in bed. It's about taking that deep breath and being open to seeing this differently. Okay. So this is not a problem. It's a symptom of a problem. And if I can just observe, okay, so what's going on for my child that's propelling them out of bed, that's getting, that they're choosing to get out of bed um, and, and come out of their room. Um, and so, yeah, so I like that. So it's really a shift in, it starts, it sounds like with, um, with a shift in perception of, you know, not like we've got to fix this behavior. Instead, we've got to look at this behavior and figure out what is it uh, red flagging? What's it saying that's going on underneath this behavior? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I really do think well, I actually know from all of the research that we've done, um, is that children are inherently good. They're not trying to be bad. They're not. And so I think what can be misleading is that when they're coming out of our bed or out of their bed, and we have suggested, have said, don't come out of your bed, then we think that it's a bad behavior or that they're acting badly. Disobedient. Right. Right. Which really isn't, to me, again, every kid is inherently good. So for me, they're just looking for a need to be met. It's not that they're trying to be bad. It's not that they're trying to, you know, disappoint you or anything like that. It's just in this case, in cases of bedtime where this is very common, they're Mm -hmm. seeking that connection or that proximity, that closeness for you. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, in my online parenting workshops, I really uh, lead parents to notice that if a child or anybody, it doesn't matter, child or, or an adult, um, whenever we're in sort of any state of a negative emotional state, it's it's because there's a need not being met. So um, referring to uh, uh, Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication philosophy um, and bring that into the situation. Um, so, that's, so that's great. So um, Courtney continued on with some questions and, and her next part was, uh, next question was asking, how do you avoid getting so angry and yelling, uh, which ends up, of course, getting your child upset? So I think we've already touched on this, but we can, you know, go a little bit deeper. So how do you avoid getting so angry and yelling? What do you say to parents about that? This is a great question and probably one that I would actually ask my families to refer out to. And I'm, like would likely be to you, Jill, Um, because I do think it is important. It's an important piece of the work. Again, like I have mentioned, our children have mirror neurons. And so especially for those highly sensitive children, they are feeling all of the feelings that we are feeling. So when we are feeling frustrated or mad, you know, how, how does that create 
it's, it's a vicious cycle almost, right? It's not going to create the calm, calm breeds calm. And so it's going to, you know, fill their bucket with that anxiety, or maybe that, you know, those feelings of, I can't go to sleep. Something's not right. My world's not right right now. I need to make sure that it's okay. I need to, you know, have all of the pieces put together. And so this to me is a, is a lot of work. And um, I will admit is something that I've had to work really hard on too, is really just myself. So this actually has nothing to do actually with what my child is doing or how, again, how they're misbehaving. It's more reframing. What is making me so upset in this moment? And how can I shift that a little bit? What can I focus on for me? And you know what? I do see this come out a lot um, with with my moms who maybe, you know, specifically now we're in a pandemic, but also just having that self-care time. If we don't have any time for us where we can defuse and, and really just, you know, focus on us for even a half an hour in the day, it's going to be really hard to not get frustrated in those moments of frustration and stay calm when it's, you know, elevated or escalated. And, Jill, I think you can speak to this a lot more too, because again, I would, I would probably send my families to seek some support from you, but yeah, I think it's a really challenging one for a lot of families. For sure. Yeah. And I I always say when, you know, parents are upset about something before they even address the child's behavior is stopping to take that deep breath and saying, okay, what's going on with me that I'm so triggered by this? And then to go into, you know, to investigate further, what beliefs, what thoughts do I have around this that's creating so much anger? And I often give my own personal experience because I definitely had some challenges with my kids when they were little around sleep. Um, And my own sort of personal epiphany that I often share in in my workshops is... um, I always say I was blessed with four children that don't need a lot of sleep. And I'm saying that you know, a little sarcastically there, um, but it took me quite a while to accept this. And I remember uh, one time when my oldest was four, so she was still in JK and um, she came back out of her room and it was, it was probably getting close to nine 30. Um, and I looked at the clock in the kitchen and looked at her and then right away, my mind went to, um, you know, all remembering all the parents who say that their kids go to bed at seven. And um, my children have never been in bed at seven, even when they were infants. Um, in fact, I don't think they were ever asleep before nine o'clock at night. Um, and so all I could think about was, you know, she's got school in the morning and it's 930 and um, she should be asleep. And what a terrible mom I am. Um, and it was the what a terrible mom, you know, I am. Uh, that sent me berserk, that sent me into, get into bed right now. You need to be asleep. You have school in the morning. This is very late. All your classmates have been asleep for two hours already. And, you know, and I just, you know, went, went ballistic. And, you know, because whatever we believe in the moment, that's what we prove true. So in that moment, I was believing I was a terrible mom. And then in that moment, I proved myself right. Um, and and just it went, went crazy. So it really wasn't anything to do with the fact that she came out of a room. It was my thoughts around and my beliefs around her coming out of her room. And um, and I knew that had tied back to so much of, uh, you know, my own uh, personal um, education in child psychology. I remember the textbook and it had this chart and, you know, children's um, ages and then how, um, 
uh, how much sleep they need at certain ages, like how many hours, you know, so if your child's this old and, you know, or this many months, they need this, this many hours of sleep. And so I remembered the chart and I remember thinking my children didn't follow the chart. And so there was so much anxiety around trying to force them to follow what the experts said um, as far as how many hours of sleep they needed. And, and the funny thing is that, you know, the, the chuckling moment for me, the big turnaround moment for me was as they went through school, um, you know, I have four children in school. I've been, you know, a mom to uh, school-aged children now uh, for, what, 17 years? And not once has a parent, sorry, has a teacher or a principal ever called me to say, um, your child's sleepy at school. Um, so, you know, eventually I forget how many years down the road it took me to realize, okay, so my children just don't need a lot of sleep uh, because they were still getting up in the morning and highly functional through the day. Um, so it turns out they just didn't need the the 10 or 12 hours that the textbook said. So, yeah, so it, it's, uh, it's huge when we stop and really think about why am I so triggered by this? What am I believing? What are my thoughts? Um, that's really where we need to start, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And I can I can speak for a lot of parents that I speak to in that you are not alone in looking at that chart and, you know, feeling frustrated with your child not fitting into that same scope of, okay, as everybody else. And, you know, it's a lot of there are things such as, you know, lower sleep total, total children and higher sleep total children. And so I think it just, again, like you said, your children were functioning and they're doing exactly what they need to be doing. It wouldn't make sense for us to have that battle at 7 PM if your child wasn't tired until nine. And so I think that's where, that's also where I go a little bit of against, you know, the traditional sleep training is that it doesn't fit into a box. Not every child is a robot that will fit into that certain box. Obviously there are recommendations and if we have concerns, we'll look at those. But uh, I do think that it's often a number that can be, um, we can fixate on and try to focus mm. on that. And, and that can take away from what's actually happening and even tuning into our child and, you know, those signals, those tired cues. Sometimes I ask parents, right? Like it'll come up. What are your, what are your child's like tired signs? Like, what are they? And, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes I talk to parents and, and they're like, we really just don't know. We just don't know because we've just always watched the clock and so mm-hmm. then I just say, take the clock away. Let's just really dive in and take, take a week just looking at just you and your child. What's happening there? What signs are they giving you? Let's explore this a little bit more because it can really take away from that relationship if we're, again, focusing on a different area that really has nothing to do with anything, really. <laughs> it's just a number. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, man, I wish I wish you'd been there when my kids were young to say, take the <laughs> clock away, because that's so true. I was far more fixated on the clock than I was them, mm. you know, so that's that's huge. So that really speaks to Courtney's next question, which, you know, maybe we've really brought up the answer already is how do you know what is an appropriate bedtime for your child? So you're saying, you know, forget the charts, forget the clock. Get to know your child's sleep patterns as far as your sleep signals of like, what they demonstrate as far as when they're tired 
and and also take it that step further and help them to be self-aware about their own their own signs too not necessarily saying you know obviously not saying oh you're tired because that's very that can be a very triggering comment for a child to hear but help them to kind of go within and notice how how are you feeling yeah and just looking at those those cues like you might need to pick them up for them they might not you know, notice right away. And that's okay too. Um, that's part of the dance too, with our relationship and how they attach and feel like safe enough to like, let go a little bit is, oh, I can pick up or mom has picked up that when, you know, I start playing with my hair, I'm tired. And so maybe that is something. And, you know, there's lots of 25 year olds that tie their, like play with their hair when they're tired. Um, but to answer Courtney's question a little bit, uh, so there is like a melatonin that is kind of a natural melatonin in our bodies that is released. And so there is an, an ideal, you know, textbook kind of time. Um, and so I will kind of give that guideline, but, um, so, you know, usually, Again, it would depend on the, the age of the baby or the age of the child, if they're napping, how their day looked, like how does that flow of their day look? Um, and so I happen to know the age again of this child. And so it can be somewhere around, you know, seven, you know, eight or eight thirty, depending on kind of their style. But again, there's lots of babies in other countries, you know, where nine o'clock is an appropriate bedtime. And that's when their melatonin sinks in because they've had a big nap during the day or their daytime just kind of fluctuated and, and works like that. Um, the other thing that I will say too, that comes up a lot is those early morning kind of rises. And so I often say to families, you know, anything after 6am isn't considered an earlier eyes. And so that's when the melatonin has kind of depleted from our, from our baby's bodies. And so they're ready to start their day or their child's day. And so they're ready to start their day. And so if they are waking up, you know, uh, after 6am, it's not considered an early rise, which isn't easy for parents to <laughs> often swallow. Right. Um, but then again, I have some families who it made sense for them to wake up at five because then you got time with dad before dad went to work mom got to sleep in a little bit more and so who am I to change that like that's working for that family and if if we need to look at that somewhere later on down the road then we will but there's no I think we can get caught on this urgency to change things and and so we want to look at the here and the right now so what is working for you don't worry about changing any of that. And now what isn't working for you? And we can dive in a little bit deep as to, again, what that looks like. So if you are having some bedtime battles, then we look at, you know, those rhythms and those routines, like what's happening in our bedtime routines. Um, and, and how does that play out for us? Like what, when does our child seem tired is, is kind of the, the, the answer to that a little bit, but like really trusting yourself, yourself and your parent parenting instincts, like they're there. Um, you just have to dig a little bit more and find them because we're taught to shoo them down a little bit, I think. Right. Oh, right. So, I mean, so many times we're just looking outward for someone to say, well, how do you do this right? What's the right thing to do? And I want to do that right thing. And instead it's about, uh, inviting parents to go within to start using their own inner wisdom and to use that then to connect to their child rather than trying to cookie cut them into um, a template that society or some 
some expert maybe has has offered in a, in a textbook or something. So, um, yeah, that, that leads nicely into the last part that Courtney um, was concerned about is just how do you avoid creating bad habits like getting up because they want something or laying with them until they fall asleep or always reading them another bedtime story. So this really, this is full circle. It takes us right back to the beginning again, doesn't it? About if they're wanting you to sleep with them or lie down with them or read a, you know, a bedtime story, or they want something that they're, you know, making possibly not even genuinely wanting. Um, But underneath all of that is them trying to get a need met. Absolutely. And I do think this is also sometimes where we bring up to um, is our boundaries. So we don't have to do anything that we don't want to do. We don't have to read another story if we don't want to, but our child is then looking for that structure and that, you know, predictability and those, again, those routines. And so, you know, if, if we kind of lay a boundary that's written in sand, well, then we can kind of expect to have a a few more stories read. If you're okay with reading a few more stories, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you don't want to, then we, you know, look at that connection piece, maybe in a different area and, you know, lay the line in in a little bit more concrete with, I'm only going to read two books tonight. What does that look like? How does that feel? Can we process some of that? That's really frustrating if we've been able to have 17 books every single night, right? Now we're switching it. We're changing it. That's going to, we're going to have something to say about that. That's hard for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot to this really, isn't there? Because one, you know, it starts off with um, what are your thoughts or beliefs that you're struggling with around, you know, lying down with your child? Is it that someone has said to you, that's not okay. um, You know, that that's a bad habit, quote unquote, bad habit. Um, And so first it's addressing our beliefs around that. And as you say, if you're okay with reading two books, five books, 10 books, whatever, um, then whatever that is, that's, that's your boundary. And then it's about teaching your children to um, not only just to accept that, but then if there's still a need for connection, where else can that connection be made prior to bedtime? Yeah, absolutely. So powerful. And a lot of my work actually is during the day. And so, you know, if, 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 for example, you're not going to give your child 17 cookies in the day, how is that different than 17 books at bedtime? You know, it's the same kind of thing. You know, you, it's just, what do you feel comfortable with and how do you feel, um, meeting that need? And I, I love the bad habit things because I often, here, you know, nursing is a bad habit. Nursing to sleep is a bad habit. Or like we've talked about laying with your baby is a bad habit or, you know, um, what are some other ones? I don't know, cuddling or rocking your baby to bed is a bad habit. And for me, nothing is a bad habit. That's every family's own unique and individual ways of having like pretty, a pretty intimate moment, really. Like it, that is so, mm-hmm sleep is such a sacred place and such you want to be safe and secure and feel okay with falling asleep. And so for me, there's no bad habits. There's habits that maybe you are kind of done with and you you want to change them. But up until that point, that might've been like a great habit. And, um, 
you know, I think we often can live in a little bit of fear of, oh my goodness, if, if, if I get water tonight, then that's going to create these bad habits. Well, sometimes I'm a little bit more thirsty tonight than I was last night at bedtime. And I might need a little bit more water. It doesn't, I think if we're living in fear, then we're not living in the moment. And if we're not living in the moment, then we're not really that present in, in, in with what our child needs. And so that's what I struggle with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the other thing too, uh, you know, a very strong parenting tip I, I give parents, well, well, two that are coming to mind. One is that, um, you know, prevention, prevention, prevention. I say that all the time and, and don't wait until bedtime and hope, you know, it goes well. It's having that, uh, you know, with a three and a half year old, you can do this, have that, that dialogue ahead of time of like, so this is what mommy needs at bedtime. And I hear this is what you need. And so let, you know, how are we going to do this and, and get them involved in making decisions around their bedtime routine and what's okay and what's not. And, um, and having that outside of bedtime so that, uh, you can, establish okay so this is going to be our plan for tonight you know or after dinner like when we're doing so before dinner you can be having the conversation about after dinner how bedtime routine is going to go um and and brainstorm options would would this be better or would that be better and giving them choices um and uh because a lot of it is you know a need for certainty and control and if you give them that through giving them choices that's also helping to get you know their need met um and the other big parenting tip i give no matter what age of child no matter what the issue is I keep bringing parents back to the golden rule you know how would you want to be treated in this situation so if you went to bed and then you were getting back out and you know perhaps going to speak to your spouse your you know partner or somebody um you know how would you want them to respond would you want them to yell and say i i've done like get out of my face <laughs> you know and and have a you know be really upset and angry with you or would you want them to be you know curious and compassionate and understanding and uh and so it's it's really taking that time to to ask yourself how would i want to be treated in this situation um that can really help to guide our behavior and our choices as a parent, um, no matter what the challenge is. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, I checked in with Courtney actually a couple months after she taken my uh, four week, uh, online workshop and asked her how things were going. And I just want to share her feedback. She said, uh, things are going well. Bedtime has really improved and I'm not letting him trigger me. Um, again, she was dealing with those, uh, uh, thoughts that, uh, she realized we're triggering her far more than, than the bedtime issues. Um, I'm not getting mad and it's really, it's really made a difference. And honestly, my communication skills have gotten much better. And I think that's why it's also easier. And absolutely. I would take out, I think I, I know that Courtney, you're doing uh, much better because of the skill sets that you uh, developed and the new perception you've taken on and in questioning your own uh, thoughts and beliefs around bedtime routines. So this has been a great discussion. There's been a lot in, in this, and I'm sure it's going to be really helpful for the parents listening in that are struggling with any sort of uh, bedtime routine. And uh, just remind me again, if a parent wants to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah. So anybody can reach me at my website. So that's www.heartfeltslumber.com. And you can just shoot me an email there, or if you have any questions, obviously submit them there and I'm happy to answer them. 
But thank you so much for having me here. I have had so much fun chatting with you. And obviously, our parenting styles are collaborative and just so amazing. So I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm I'm so grateful you could join me in on this on this topic around sleep. It's it affects so many uh, children, babies, uh, parents, uh, families. Um, so anything we can do to help support them um, to make sleep and bedtime more peaceful, um, the better. So thanks again, Jen, for for joining me. Are you wanting to learn effective parenting skills like Courtney did in order to create peace, not just at bedtime, but within yourself and your children? Are you wanting more insight on how to manage upsetting feelings that often come up during parenting challenges like bedtime routines? Then be sure to check out my online parenting workshop at jillmcpherson.com. I have a four-week workshop for parents of young school-aged children and another one for parents of tweens and teens. For those who have joined me in my online parenting workshops and have learned greater parenting skills, I offer the Peaceful Parenting Program. Parents in this program have the option to meet with me online once a week where I offer tips on using parenting skills, and then it's a Q&A session where I answer your parenting concerns. Come and build effective parenting skills and get your questions answered in order to create more peace in your life and your home. And for parents who have not joined me in my online workshop, feel free to contact me to see how this program could also work for you. I want to conclude today's podcast by thanking Courtney for her great parenting question. And of course, once again, I want to thank my guest, Jen Searson, a sleep and well-being specialist. And don't forget again to check out more about Jen and her services on her website at heartfeltslumber.com. In the meantime, do you have a parenting question that you want me to answer in my next podcast? Then please email, email me at yes at gmail.com. Until then, this is Jill McPherson inviting you to join me in awakening to a more peaceful way to parent on Awakened Parenting.